0: I'm Danny Valentino, and welcome to Crypto on the Beat, a new podcast that will explore the relationship between music and cryptocurrency. We'll discuss the latest news in the space, and we'll have conversations with many of the players on the cutting edge of these new trends that are helping to reshape our world. Bitcoin, NFTs, blockchain, the metaverse, all phrases most of us had never heard of up until a few years ago, and now you just can't escape them. 2021 will go down as the year crypto went mainstream, but where will things go in 2022? Cannot wait to find out. On this episode of Crypto on the Beat, we'll take a look at some of the recent highlights in the crypto universe, and we'll be joined by our first special guest.
1: Dance music is a technological, creative world. The same is true of what's happening in distributed ledger tech and distributed systems.
0: That was EDM DJ and producer Justin Blau, who shook up the entire music industry last year when he sold the first NFT album for an eight-figure sum, and seems to be leading the innovative charge when it comes to blending the world of music and crypto. You'll hear that full conversation later in the show, but first let's take a look at some recent developments. The first ever music award show in the metaverse took place last month. Now, unlike traditional award shows that celebrate songs or artists, the Songbreaker Awards celebrate the musicians and creators who helped to shape pop music through dance challenges, memes and viral trends across social media. The show featured performances by Lizzo and Gail and took place inside Roblox. A new study out this spring shows that nearly a third of millennials here in the US plan to use cryptocurrency as part of their retirement strategy, more than the amount that plan to use savings and stocks. Not surprisingly, millennials are also the generation with the most knowledge about digital assets, with more than 40% saying that they get it. Incredible numbers. And if you watched the Billboard Music Awards this past Sunday night, you witnessed history as Pepsi partnered with the Shell for the first ever Winner's Club NFT collection, As each award was announced on the show, a custom NFT was unlocked in real time and made available to fast acting fans on social media immediately after. First time anything like that has ever been done at a major award show. It's hard to think of an artist who had a bigger impact on the music industry in 2021 than Justin Blau, our special guest on today's show. And it's not just because of the music he put out over the past 12 months. It's how he put the industry on notice that the world is changing and it better do its part to keep up. After walking away from a career in banking about a decade ago, Justin began a career in music. He started out DJing college frat parties in the Midwest and in just a few short years had taken it all the way to the main stage at some of the biggest festivals in the world. Now he's combining his love of music with that finance background and is changing the future with his work in the NFT and blockchain universe. In the past year alone. He's launched multiple NFT collections and started his own company called Royal, which lets fans share in the success of their favorite song or artist through unique forms of investment and ownership. Excited to welcome to Crypto on the Beat, Justin Blau. Doing
1: great. How are you?
0: Doing great. And uh, appreciate you joining us. Uh, your story just... A fascinating one. You came from the investment banking background. You go to college, your career path is seemingly laid out, right? You got a job waiting for your graduation, but plans change. Uh, you're at school, you discover how much you like to DJ and that you're good at it. I mean, what was the reaction from the family when you told them, uh, hey, let's put the finance job on hold for now. I want to pursue music.
1: Yeah, no, it was it was a pretty crazy experience. I had kind of learned about dance music from my roommate who's, who's Swedish. And got super deep in just learning how to produce in Logic and Ableton, you know, back at a time when it was really easy to just get the software and start moving, you know, you, know, you used to need a recording studio to make anything of good quality and the barrier to entry and the technology to make dance music just improved so much. And in college, I spent most of my free time doing that.
0: And you were playing like, you know, underground dorm parties and frack parties and stuff. And, and you know, everybody was coming out to see you. And then it kind of just, I mean, it took off from there, right? You, you became very successful. You played the biggest festivals all over the world. You had hit songs on the radio. Was the peak of your musical success, was that fulfilling for you? Or I mean, were you always thinking, hey, I might go back into finance at some point?
1: You know, I, I always knew music. Music for me was never something to... Become the the quote unquote biggest or the largest or most popular. It was always just a passion of mine, and so I wanted to focus on making music that I wanted to make. And you know, I think with with the Blau project, I I definitely achieved most of my goals, um, but I also faced a lot of challenges along the way as an independent artist. And you know, I, my passion was always to kind of bridge both worlds: my background in finance, my my interest in in crypto and and blockchain tech. And of course, my experience as a musician. And I kind of always felt that there were a lot of ways to you know, merge both worlds. And that kind of birthed the new project that I'm working on, which is called Royal.
0: So at what point did Bitcoin and crypto first come onto your radar? And what excited you the most about the possibilities?
1: Yeah, I guess 2014 was the first time Bitcoin really came on my radar. So I'm, I'm by no means like a super OG, um, like a 2011 or 2010, you know, original adopter. But what what fascinated me about Bitcoin initially was the idea of frictionless value transfer, banking the unbanked all over the world, being able to move money wherever 24-7 without any restrictions. I thought that was really powerful. And you know, our banking system here in the US is pretty messed up. And so, you know, let alone banking systems and and financial systems in in other countries. Hmm. And that that really fascinated me initially in, in 2014. But I was kind of only passively involved until 2017, which is when I got super involved and active. Um, and that was particularly because Ethereum lent itself to a lot of potential in disintermediating lots of industries, um, not just finance and music, but pretty much everything. And at the time there were a lot of promises made. There were a lot of, you know, I'm sure some some listeners would remember the kind of ICO era, which was basically, you know, mm. just people selling tokens on beliefs. Of future technology that didn't exist yet, um, but it was still a really interesting time because the underlying technology, or you know, any DAP compatible blockchain, um, was definitely a powerful concept. Fast forward to today, a lot of the actual technology that was built in 2015, 16, 17 is actually being used in a way broader sense, and we're seeing that use, you know, happen across decentralized finance applications and NFT applications, and so you know. You know, just like any new technology, it takes a while for the adoption and for the innovation to really hit scale. Um, But we're definitely starting to see that now.
0: Yeah, I mean, things are happening at breakneck speed, uh, for sure. And, uh, you know, a lot of people think that, you know, you in particular got into this uh, overnight, but uh, it couldn't be further from the truth. I remember... You and I had a pretty long conversation about this. I think it was maybe 2017 at a big festival. And what I found was a lot of people in the dance world were kind of connected early to this space, maybe not as much as you, for example, but people were interested in it and conversations were being had. I mean, do you think that's a coincidence or do you think there's something about our scene in dance music that that where people tend to be maybe a bit ahead of the curve? I definitely
1: think that like inherently dance music is a technological, creative world. Um, whether you're a creator or a consumer, the same is true of, you know, what's happening in distributed leisure tech and distributed systems. So it doesn't surprise me that there's like a, a link between both worlds that feels pretty strong. I think DJs and, and electronic musicians love the idea of experimentation and playing with software. Um, The same is true of everything in crypto, right? And so there's definitely that kind of interesting link that exists between both worlds.
0: Yeah, well said. And uh, over the past three years, I mean, we could say you've been busy essentially changing the world, really. I mean, you threw the first blockchain-based music festival uh, in 2018. You sold the first album in NFT form earlier in 2021, and you just recently launched uh, your company Royal, which lets fans share in the success of a song or artist. I mean, to me... It almost feels like you're on some sort of personal quest to change or revolutionize the music industry here. Is that what's going on here too?
1: I'd say that's pretty accurate. Um, <laughs> I, I think that I've learned a lot of really interesting and frustrating things about the music business having been independent. And I kind of want to create the tools for the next generation of artists to you know, monetize and achieve their kind of creative and financial freedom themselves without being dependent on legacy infrastructure and systems that are generally pretty predatory. Not 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 all the time, but many of them are.
0: I think the, the idea that, let's say, uh, you know, Daniel Ek, for example, the head of Spotify, he's a billionaire and he's obviously getting rich off of, you know, people subscribing to the service, but then the artists are getting... Like, what do you get paid off of a, a stream, for example, on on a, a service like that? It's like, it's a fraction of, of a cent. Am I you right? know,
1: what's interesting is like a lot of people like to make out the streaming services as the enemy when, when in fact, you know, Um, If you are an independent artist, streaming services have actually quite a bit bettered the payouts for those who actually own their own masters. So before streaming services existed, um, the actual consumption and and I should say purchase of music licenses on iTunes was relatively lower than the amount of money that Spotify pays out. Um, It is about a third or, uh, you know, a little bit more than a third of a cent per stream, but at scale. And when you own 100 percent of that, it's really powerful. Um, the the enemy really, or I shouldn't say enemy, but the, the issue is actually all the people in between that are getting a cut before the artist gets paid out. Sure. So, you know, a lot of artists, and that's just the infrastructure of the music business, right? I think Spotify is actually a fantastic example of an amazing product that tried to revolutionize music and started to, but unfortunately had to play in both worlds. Um, you know, if it were their choice, I'm sure they'd love to pay artists more, but unfortunately artists have pre-existing agreements with a lot of other people. And so you know, me as an independent, Spotify has actually done quite a bit of great in my life, um, and there are a lot of other independent artists that would say the same. Um, Verite and Russ being being two that are that come to mind. You know, realistically, um, yes, like there is still an imbalance between the actual value that creatives create and and who who's able to monetize it most efficiently, right? And so, I think the goal at Royal is to rebalance that.
0: And uh, we're gonna talk a little bit about that in just a second, but I also want to talk about when you sold your first NFT album, I think it was February, 2021. Very few had even heard the term before, NFT, let alone knew what it meant. And now here we are. Collins Dictionary names it their word of the year. Nearly $11 billion worth of these were sold in the third quarter alone. I mean, how big a role are NFTs gonna play in the future of the music industry?
1: You know, it's really interesting. I think NFT is such a non-fungible token, right? It's such a weird term. Um, and the only reason why it exists is because most tokens are fungible, so you just put the word "non-fungible" in front of a token. You know any any kind of contract on on any blockchain. Let's go really general here. Um, and the only reason why non-fungible token exists as a term is because, again, like most tokens are fungible in the sense that they can be exchanged like kind for each other. When you go to an arcade, two tokens you know are worth the same when you put them into the machine. But realistically, everything in the real world is non-fungible. Anything that's unique. In, in the physical world is non-fungible, even even dollar bills are technically non-fungible in the, in the sense that they each have serial numbers, right? Which, which give them an, a non-fungible characteristic, even though most of them are fungible in the sense that y- you wouldn't necessarily discriminate against the dollar bill because it has a certain serial number. You'd still It's still worth the same to you as it is to somebody else, right? And so I think that the idea of ownership is, is what excites me. And non-fungible tokens are a way of assigning that ownership On a blockchain, and so you can kind of view these things as certificates of authenticity. And everything in the digital world has been infinitely can be infinitely reproduced with this kind of right-click save mentality, or pirating software, or movies or music. But when when there's a system of you know registering ownership, like NFTs on chain, um, all of a sudden ownership becomes really meaningful to to an end user and owning a song can actually mean a lot. It can even mean participating in all the royalties associated with that song. And that's kind of what we're experimenting with, with, with my new company.
0: And uh, let's talk about that. Uh, <coughs> the company's called Royal, uh, launched a few months ago with your college roommate. You've raised nearly $100 million already. Big names like the Chain Chainsmokers, uh, Kygo, Nas, All Investors. I mean, just tell us a little bit about how this works and, and how it might benefit you and, of course, your fans.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think the principle behind Royal is simple. Um, everyone listens and consumes music, but has very little room to participate in ownership of music the same way, you know, music as an asset class has only been accessible, um, by, you know, record labels and, and private equity firms. When you give the people that actually drive the popularity of music, a piece of the pie, you know, how does that change the incentives of both creators and consumers in the actual, you know, distribution of creativity? Right. And, and that's kind of what Royal seeks to explore. Like if you could invest in an artist right? What would that mean? How would that change your behavior? And we're really excited to see that actually playing out in real time.
0: And just to give people an idea of how this works, your first release was was a song called Worst Case. And this is a song of yours that you released uh, through Royal. You auctioned off 50% ownership of that song to your fans. And then more recently, uh, you just released another song called Waveform, where you auctioned 100% ownership of that song to one fan. I mean, that's exciting stuff. And it also, it, it you know, builds on a point you brought up earlier. It's the music going straight to the fans. There's no middleman, right? There's no record label involved. I mean, can this essentially make record labels obsolete as we look to the future?
1: Um, I don't think necessarily labels will, will ever become obsolete, but I like to say they, 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 they'll need to become more price competitive, right? I think that labels are, are like the only source of distribution and capital for artists. Um, and since the streaming era, and by the way, this is only recent, right? Like since streaming has actually started to pay more than you know iTunes licenses, so to speak, um, now that there's quite a bit of money in streaming, labels are getting outsized value to the contracts that they've that they've worked artists into. right? And so as alternatives begin to exist for artists, label services are still really important, you know, helping ANR records, production, marketing. some artists do need those services. Um, it's just that the, the deal structure will likely need to be more competitive because the alternative, of course, would be a platform like Royal where, you know, an artist can kind of control everything, right? And so I, I don't think there's a world where they don't coexist. I think in many ways they do. And in many ways they, you know, can even benefit each other. But I think that, you know, what we like to say at, you know, what I try to tell my team is the enemy, the enemy of Royal is not, um, is not any counterparty or any, or any label or any distributor. The enemy of royal is the bad record deal, right? Um, sure. And there are many different parties that might do that or create those deals. But we want to create the alternative to those types of deals. So, what so is a giving, bad
0: record label deal? For somebody listening, they may wonder what what would a bad record uh, label deal look like. Um, I think a
1: newcomer will sign a hundred thousand dollar advance. For you know, someone who's new who has like a little bit of traction on TikTok might sign a hundred or two hundred thousand dollar advance for like four albums and give up 80% of the equity in their music. Wow. I think that's probably a pretty bad deal. Sure. Um, Kanye famously um, gave up 86% of the equity in his music for two and a half million dollars. I think it was for four or five albums. Wow. Um, of course that that's worth a lot more today. Right. So I think that's like the best way to explain it. But you know, I, I also think on the, on the flip side of that labels do provide a lot of services for distribution. Um, it's just a question of what kind of artists you want to be. I think that like, Labels will always be relevant for pop. Um, They might not always be relevant for, you know, a bedroom artist that happens to gain traction on
0: TikTok. And uh, how easy of a sell was this for you? Like, let's say you're calling up Alex and Drew from the Chainsmokers to kind of pitch the idea. I mean, are these guys like, you know, grasping onto it right away or is it a little bit of a, you know, a tougher sell?
1: Um, I'll be honest, there's been very little resistance um, to the idea. I think like most people know that this, this kind of service needs to exist. Um, Or I should say, you know, these tools need to exist for artists, you know, with with software and with developers of software, we, you know, people create these SDKs, these software developer kits, we like to say that Royal is the SDK for artists, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's, it's a set of tools that artists can use to maintain their independence and to monetize. And whenever you tell that to another artist, I mean, we've all been through it, right? So it it resonates pretty deeply with a lot of the artist community.
0: With all these changes happening in music over the past several months, you know, as a fan of the industry, I mean, it's you have to keep up with this point. Otherwise, you know, the the industry is obviously going to look very different five to 10 years from now. I mean, how do you see things? uh, Let's say it's 2030 now. Uh, how do you see the music industry? I mean, is it all going to be NFTs and metaverse concerts, or what are we going to be looking at?
1: <laughs> <laughs> metaverse concerts, ticketing, ownership of music via NFT or you know adjacent type technology, probably all going to play a really big role in the future. But but it's still it's still developing, right? I mean, this technology is only ten years old. Distributed ledger technology, as we know it today, is only ten years old or a little bit older, like it's eleven or twelve. Um, and the next ten years are going to be pretty wild mainly because the talent that exists from the web 2 world or like companies like YouTube and Instagram all all these people are gravitating towards the web 3 world you know everything that's happening in crypto and so the, just the universe of crypto is attracting more talent which means innovation will be faster and the speed at which it develops will also grow in you know accelerate pretty pretty drastically right and so i think that, that that's what we're going to see over the next 10 years
0: if you could just briefly explain for for somebody who may not be aware just the <coughs> difference between web 2 and Web3 because Web3 is something we're hearing a lot about and uh, obviously going to play a key role in the future of technology.
1: Web3 is a world where, where you bring your identity and, and purchasing power with you to anything in the world, whether it be a website or a virtual world or, or a metaverse. Web2 is this world where there's lots of different services, where you your data is being used and advertised upon. You have separate logins everywhere. There's no kind of identity factor that you can bring with you across different worlds or different digital worlds, right? So, Web three is just kind of a, a short way of saying this this kind of new internet that that a lot of. You know, crypto companies are trying to build. It's
0: fascinating what is being built, but pretty much right underneath our noses at this point. And you have to stay on top of this stuff because it's just changing so quickly. Just to kind of bring this full circle here a little bit, obviously you're you're break speed ahead right now in the cryptocurrency and and NFT world, but how big of a role is making music going to play in your future, do you think at this point?
1: I think I'll I'll obviously always make music. Uh, I'm definitely touring quite a bit less, like substantially less. Um, But, you know, right now, the focus is building the company as quickly as possible. And, you know, I will definitely always make music. It's just a question of when I would go back in a a more frequent capacity. But it's it's always there.
0: Well, if you want to hear the man's music, it's all over SiriusXM. And we've been following your career musically for, I'd say, about a decade now. And uh, it's been a lot of fun seeing the transformation and how you're helping to transform the music industry. So I think we'll leave it here for now. It's fascinating stuff. And I, I just know that we'll be hearing a lot more from you in the weeks and months to come with uh, Royal and uh, probably some more stuff you're working on too.
1: Absolutely, 100%.
0: Blau, thank you so much for uh, joining us. I appreciate it. Thanks so much
1: for having me here. It was awesome talking about all this stuff.
0: That was my interview with EDM DJ and producer Justin Blau, a guy who's had multiple number one songs in dance music over the years. And now you're more likely to see him as a guest on CNBC then talking to a music blog promoting his newest tracks. Justin is only 31 years of age, very interested to see what his next moves are going to be as we head deeper into 2022. Imagine he is just getting started. As are we. Thanks so much for joining us on this premiere episode of Crypto on the Beat, where we explore how crypto is so much more than just bitcoins and NFTs. Special thanks to everyone who makes Crypto on the Beat possible Sarah Bentley, Roger Coletti, Bill Crandall, Jen Derwin, Emily Doherty, Mike Spinella, and Chris Watherspoon. I'm your host, Danny Valentino. Crypto on the Beat is a Serious XM production. Serious XM Podcasts.